0: Welcome to Breaking Down the Buzz, the podcast where we explore the thrilling world of tech industry leaders. From AI to the latest trends, we cut through the noise and decode the tech buzz, and share our collective insights and insider knowledge. Welcome to Breaking Down the Buzz, where we explore the frontiers of technology with industry experts. Today, we're thrilled to have Dr. Abhinav Ram Mohan, a data scientist at the FDA, joining us. Abhi brings a unique blend of expertise in chemical and biomedical engineering and a passion for AI and machine learning. His journey, especially completing his doctoral program during the challenging times of the COVID pandemic, has been nothing short of inspirational. With a passion for all things AI, a great perspective on how to use tools like ChatGPT, and continuous curiosity in learning new technologies, Abi is a future leader to watch. All right. Well, thank you for joining us, Abinov. It's great to have you here, Abi. I know you were just traveling, so we're excited that you're you're back and and ready to roll. And I'm I'm excited to chat with you on the the breaking down the buzz podcast. Thanks um, so much for having me on. Yeah, yeah. So, can you start by giving uh, just a brief introduction about you and your educational background? Because you have a really impressive resume. Uh, be, might be the smartest
1: person I've ever met, I got to tell you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I'm humbled by that compliment. So, I'll give a just a brief background. So, my degree was in chemical engineering from the University of Virginia. And then I went on to do my Master's Degree in Biomedical Engineering from the Virginia Commonwealth University College of Engineering, VCU for short. And then I did my PhD in Pharmaceutical Sciences and Integrative Life Sciences from VCU School of Pharmacy. And uh, during all of that time, actually, my work was all laboratory research work. And so I have a training in both laboratory sciences as well as uh, developing my own interest in uh, computational methods based on my engineering background.
0: Wow. Wow. That's, that's impressive. So yeah, we have a mutual friend, Paul at, at VCU, which yeah. is how we met. Yeah. Yes. Um, so you you mentioned your passion for programming and how it plays a role in your PhD work. Can you kind of talk through what led you to the position that you have at the FDA and, and sort of what you're doing there, just high level?
1: Sure, yeah, so um, during, so how my passion for programming started during my PhD was during the COVID pandemic, the labs were completely shut down. There was actually not a lot of work going on in the labs. We actually were not even allowed on campus for the most part, so we were all at home for a period of three to four to five months. And so in that time period, I was kind of trying to think about how I can progress my research. And so that said, uh, I was thinking about, okay, I have a lot of data, I have a lot of image data, how can I analyze that image data to make the process more efficient so that it makes the lab more efficient in, as well in analyzing the data and it helps my professor. And so that's when I started looking into learning Python because Python is heavily used. These days, a popular language. And so look into developing automation in order to analyze image data, so fluorescent images and histological scenes. And so that's where it all started. And then uh, coming into FDA, actually, my postdoctoral fellowship was more focused on a uh, bioequivalence and understanding generic drugs. So it was a bit different. There was not a whole lot of computational aspect or programming aspect initially, but then as time progressed, um, I started seeing places where I could help my team develop tools. Uh, so for example, like a PB, population by equivalence calculator and things like that. So started kind of identifying where uh, uh, machine learning or like Python programming would be helpful for my team. And so, but that uh, I actually my interest in programming, uh, I had like a, my own interest in that. So I took up a MIT program and executive data science program to kind of learn more about Python programming, AI, and ML. Uh, and so that's how I kind of segued into what will be my new position, continuing my postdoctoral fellowship, but in using uh, AI, ML methodologies, and hopefully uh, into a full-time position from then on. Oh,
0: that—that's amazing and incredibly motivating that you, you know, went on to. Well, first of all, you obviously are very motivated because you've gone through a doctorate program, and that it's like, how much education is that? Twelve years, fifteen.
1: Years yeah, or so? no, 12 years.
0: <laughs> that's insanity to me. First of all, but congratulations! Very Thank impressed you. by that. Um, but then to have the initiative to go on and and take a course at MIT is is. Fantastic. And I think the way that you will continue to develop your, your career, because, you know, I'm obviously much older than you. What I have found is that when you're in the technology space, if Mm -hmm. you don't continue to do things like that, you can, in a matter of just a couple of years, be behind because things change just so quickly. You know. Yeah. That, that, yeah. So you and I have spoken previously about Chat GPT and you are probably one of the the most power users of Chat GPT around. I would love to get your take on how ChatGPT can be used and, and how you're using it and what you see there.
1: Sure. So I will start by prefacing, uh, actually, it wasn't so long ago before I started using ChatGPT. Um, but then when everyone started talking about it, and also the fact that I'm going to be joining a AIML team, I had to kind of learn this very quickly and understand the technology very quickly. And so I saw it's utility very quickly as well. Um, one of the things that I uh, enjoy, and also, of course, as we've seen, Uh, We read so many and even uh, Dr. Brooks had talked about in the previous podcast how ChatGPT is kind of like infiltrating the classroom and, you know, like change the curriculums around it and things like that. And even the workplace, uh, everyone is starting to use ChatGPT for different things uh, and even for own personal use. In my case, like we just discussed now about how it's important to keep up with different technologies and kind of keep pace and keep learning so that we don't become outdated. Because technology progresses so quickly, I found the value in ChatGPT and upskilling. And that's kind of like, I guess, like I like to call it like a secret that I like to share. Um, and so the way I use ChatGPT is okay, what are all the technologies out there? Uh, everyone is moving to the cloud. There's like AWS, Azure, there's like Google platforms, different resources available. But how can we learn these things, right? And so one of the things that I do with ChatGPT, I queried, uh, I have zero experience in using AWS. Can you teach me how to um, launch a container or an EC2 instance? You know, And it takes me step by step. And I query, okay, I have now opened the AWS interface. Can you tell me? what each of these components means. And I'll just query for each of the components, like how to create the tag, uh, how do I create, like what are, do I put in the security fields and things like that? And what is the significance of those? And it takes me step by step. And so that's the value I saw. I was able to learn how to launch an EC2 instance on AWS very quickly. And I saw that's where I saw the power of using chat GPT and upskilling and learning new things, learning say like, Power BI, how to kind of develop a dashboard and things like that.
0: Yeah, it was interesting because after you and I spoke the last time, uh, you, you had told me about that. And so, you know, one of the challenges that we have is that we will hire um, hire early early career folks, you know, maybe just just undergraduates that have just graduated and in a lot of cases we're dealing with technology that's changing very very quickly in, in the consulting world so we work with Microsoft a lot so power automate power bi you know azure sort of all of that and typically someone coming out of an undergraduate program doesn't necessarily have those specific skill sets you know they they understand the concepts and they understand the technology. But if, if I take someone and say, okay, now I'm going to turn you into a power automate consultant, let's go. There's a lot that goes into that. And so what we have always struggled with is learning plans around that. How do we put together a learning plan? So when you and I had a conversation, I went back and I spoke with my chief of staff and said, Hey, I, you know, I know you're trying to put together training plans for different job positions. Let's try this. And what we were able to do was to use Chat GPT and say, OK, this is the job description that we want this person to be able to do. This is the type of training we think they need to have. Build us a learning plan that says week one, take these classes online. Week two, take these classes online. Week three, take these classes online. A plan with a week. Here are the links to the classes you need to take. Once you've gotten through that, do these labs. Here's the next week. Do these labs. Take these certifications. And we put together a 12-week plan for a, a young woman that has is starting with us in two weeks that says, okay, from here to here, now you're going to be certified and you're going to be ready to go out and have these conversations. Maybe not as a senior consultant, but at sure. least at least be paired with someone who this is their role. And I would have never have thought of that without speaking with you. I mean, never.
1: Yeah, it's, I appreciate that. Yeah, that sounds like yeah. It's very exciting to use these because you know, coming out of a PhD program, for example, right? It's like we are in a niche field. We're also taught to uh, taught to think uh, critically. Right. Develop our own experimental plans, execute experiments like basically we go through the entire process, believe it or not, of project management. Right. More or less. if we think OK. About it. Right. Because we have like a, managing a Ph.D. dissertation project, collaborating with different people if we need resources, carrying out experiments, creating like a time plan so that we are able to graduate on time. Right. Writing the dissertation, which is the final product. Like, for example, I can execute the summary equivalent in industry. Um, And so we go through all of these steps. And so in that process, right, we are expected to, as PhDs, kind of be able to do things quickly on our own and generate ideas, generate plans, execute plans. And so that's when, again, like with ChatGPT, right, we can kind of enable ourselves to kind of move forward faster. And the same way like you've been using in your company to train people. You know, it's it's great to see how this tool can be such a powerful utility. I like to call it magic at your fingertips in a way sometimes. Because like you just put together a 12-week plan and it's very nice to be able to use these resources. And we're in the generation where it is really up and coming. And so using it, correctly and having that utility for it, I feel, is really important nowadays.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And we haven't talked about it, but do you have any concerns around the technology and how it could be used maybe for not great purposes? Or is that something that hasn't kind of
1: crossed your radar? I mean, I haven't given a lot of thought about, right. about that. Um, I've been kind of looking at more how I can use it fruitfully, but of course there are. I'm pretty sure, um, considering all the news that's going on about OpenAI and yeah, the different like litigations that are going on. Uh, I can't remember which company, but there was a company um, which filed. Uh, lawsuit because, Ch- oh, I think it was the New York Times. New York Times, yeah, yes, I saw that. New York Times, yeah. yeah, 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 because people were trying to back end articles without subscription and say, okay, can you give me the, what paragraph? This oh, paragraph? I didn't look at the details of what that was. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So they were trying to back end into the articles without having subscriptions is what I read uh, in the just on the front end. Not sure the entire details myself either. But I guess you see that's where one of the potential um, misuses of uh, chat GPK can be. But now I think that they have worked around that or they are starting to work around that there's like blocks that have been put in place things. So, of course, as and when these issues arise, right? I mean, you can never really predict every single issue or every single use case people are going to use it for or misuse it for. So it kind of comes in. These phases, right you'll see like one big company uh filing a lawsuit, and then next you'll probably have another company filing a lawsuit, et cetera, and that's how usually these use cases build in terms of misuse. I'm guessing, and then it all comes together as kind of like, okay, how do we enable transparency? You know there's a lot of um different things when it comes to regulating these, but of course, that's a big challenge in itself right now, yeah
0: yeah yeah, I, I I think the technology is moving faster than the regulations can.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's hard to keep up with it you know
0: yeah, yeah. I was actually I was watching a, a presentation this morning on using using generative AI for marketing. and the big concern that the marketers have, and I, I get this is you know, generative AI is is effectively. Trained on all the the content that's out on the internet, yeah, you know, and so what could start to happen is that all the messaging looks the same from a marketing standpoint because it's using all the same source, you know, and and yeah. I I think that's where we we certainly could get into some challenges. You can. You can ask any question. Personally, I use ChatGPT instead of Google most of the time now for searches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cuz it's easier. It is.
1: It's <laughs> it, personalized. It, like you yeah. can find what you're looking for rather than having like a list of like 50 results right now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um so let's talk about machine learning and your passion for machine learning a little bit. And again, we we haven't dived into this too much, but how do you where do you see that going or how do you see that kind of transforming what you do?
1: So I guess I would like a little more context when you mean transforming what I do.
0: Yeah. Um. So so you have an interest in in machine learning and and machine learning can obviously be used for a, a lot of yeah. things. Um. That's probably an infinite number of things in reality. Um, how how's how is it used sort of in in your role or or you know when you when you had got this passion for machine learning? What did you envision doing with it? Is maybe the
1: okay. Yeah, I see. So I guess in the context of using machine learning and AI, it's more kind of trying to see one, um, of course, apart from just machine learning, I want to start by saying like automation. Automation is like a big thing, uh, which is important to kind of cut down time for doing different processes. With that, machine learning can be used to develop, uh, kind of understand, say we have data on Let's say we're running a clinical trial and we want to use machine learning to say predict like outcomes. Okay, like we have this patient group, we want to set up clinical trials. How can we predict uh, outcomes, uh, clinical outcomes for patients, or how can we predict what drug to give the patients and things like that? So, those are the use cases, and I guess like the healthcare area and the pharma area. There's also a lot of use case for machine learning in terms of understanding how can we apply machine learning in understanding like image processing, right? So we have like these MRIs, we have these CT scans, we have these like PET, positron emission, emission tomography, and different types of um, imaging modalities now coming into play in the medical use. How can we use machine learning and order to process these images better so that we get a better reading of what diagnosis we're trying to get and so we can turn that effectively into low dose radiation kind of use cases so okay now we're able to get this high quality image or, or high quality high resolution outcome and use machine learning to process the data and get the diagnosis we're looking for. So now can we move to a lower radiation dose so that we don't need to worry Uh, so much mm -hmm. about the radiation impact and we can use a lower radiation, still get the same quality outcome and process that kind of data. So those are kind of the use cases that I see for machine learning.
0: Okay, okay. Yeah. I just watched an interview with Bill Gates, and it was probably really done six months ago or so. And, you know, the Gates Foundation is is heavy into research and particularly in developing countries. And one of the things that he was talking about, and I, I'm not sure if it was really out there or not, was the ability to use machine learning and AI to basically develop um, like mobile ultrasounds and and the thought process there was that you know you, in particularly in developing countries you have where mortality rates are much higher for for women and and children that don't get good medical care you have the ability to then maybe have somebody who's trained in using the device but isn't necessarily a doctor go and and do these ultrasounds and and get results because, you know, the, the data is readily available and that that could reduce mortality rates and, and whatnot. And so the, the back and forth discussion was around, yeah, but do you want to have someone who's not a doctor necessarily do that? And the, his response was, well, if they have that versus nothing at all, even if it's not one hundred percent accurate, and maybe it goes back to a physician to review later, mm-hmm. that that's a better outcome than just not having any prenatal care. so so when you when you talk about that, that reminds me of that discussion that I watched and and that's where I can see things where maybe things we're not even thinking about that for sure, things we're not even thinking about, particularly in the medical world, are, could just happen a lot faster you know would we get earlier diagnosis on cancer or you know
1: things like that yeah yeah I find that actually that's a great example which you gave of course I feel like you can never really just get away without training anyone there still has to be to understand the technology like for example how to use an ultrasound or Right, like, and what the ultrasound does—at least the functionality—but then, yeah, exactly. Like, you send someone out there who is able to use that technology and have a doctor on the back end to review it, an actual person to review it. Because as much as we can rely on like machine learning to process the image, right, and say classify, okay, is this like like a healthy state, disease state, etc. It can only be as confident as it has been trained on the data. Right. And so in which case, we still need a physician definitely on the back end to kind of review that kind of critical health data and kind of give feedback. And yeah, there's a lot of potential for that. And I feel like that's where AI is really going to see growth, especially, like you said, in developing nations and can be very impactful.
0: Yeah. And I don't think, you know, there's this whole discussion around do jobs go away? I don't think jobs go away, but I think jobs change for sure. And I think the, the scale and speed at which we can do things absolutely changes. Because again, you, in that scenario, you still need a doctor, there has to be a doctor to review that or, you know, whoever it is, I'm not in the medical field. So whoever it is that reviews ultrasounds. Um, and now there are more to review, <laughs> you know, and maybe, maybe there's some sort of of you know criteria around if these three data points show up, a doctor has to review it. If not, they don't. But but you know that, that doesn't mean the doctor's position is going away. I think it's the same okay. with attorneys. You know, people use ChatGPT every day to produce contracts, but I wouldn't send a contract out without having an attorney look at it and make sure that it was factual and the language made sense and whatnot. So yeah,
1: I I just don't think it changes. But yeah, yeah. yeah. I- I feel that with ChatGPT and AI use in general, it augments jobs and makes things more efficient so that we can be more productive as society. That's yeah. how I wanna phrase it. Because even marketing, right? Let's just, think, let's just go back to the marketing example. Like you said, everything that ChatGPT generates is we sound uniform for every business out there, right? There's no creative. Who adds the creative touch? It's added by the human, the creative. Right right? How you brand it, how you use it. You can use it to generate the content because you don't need to spend maybe hours generating ideas and things like that. But you still need the human touch in order to add that creativity and the voice of the company or your own voice, the human touch to be able to be personable and make it approachable to uh, say consumers or other end users. So at the end of the day, even these jobs are not going to go they'll be augmented but they're not going to go away uh, at least for the foreseeable future <laughs> the way right I see it. right right
0: right um, so are there any other technologies that you're super excited about that are you know well, really for me
1: <laughs> yeah there's a lot of different technologies especially like for example google gemini is right mind. Awesome. <laughs> And the way it can be used, like it has like the whole like voice structure kind of like, they're trying to make it more human, like by like interacting with the person. I saw it like the launch radio the other day and it, it was amazing. It was pretty neat what they have come up with. And also in terms of like robotics, um, I think the company is, a Boston Dynamics I wanna say. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, Boston Dynamics is doing quite a bit and like the robotics area helping with like, in terms of like industry and like supply chain and things like that, and actual like factories and things, those technologies to help with the safety of workers as well. In terms of like, okay, like is this like a risky move. Is this like a risky lift, things like that. That's where these technologies can come into play. And I feel like that's really helpful, like in these, kind of more larger scale industries like construction management and things like that.
0: Right, right. Yeah, robotics is fascinating to me for sure. Yeah. I I think Google's doing some really interesting things. I can't remember the name of the product that or the announcement that they just had. It was Google Video something where mm-hmm. basically they're using AI to actually generate video, which was yeah. fascinating to me. I mean, fascinating.
1: Yeah. Really yeah, I, there is uh, what I think it's there's Runway.ai, which is under the, another tool which takes a still image and animates segments of it. Um, oh, that's interesting. I, yeah, of course, I have my own take when it comes to um, AI in creative spaces like art and music and things. Not personally a huge fan of that yet, um, but yeah. I see like definitely like potential. Yeah. Like for example, like a music producer can use these uh, AI tools to like mix and master a track to make it sound good after they have composed a track themselves. Right. Or in art, right? Like they have made their own art, but they have an idea for an animation, which it's difficult to find animators or like it's difficult to execute. So then you like, you just want to animate like a small bit. Because it just adds right. that, that char, like that flair to the, Then, like, yeah, like tools like that can be useful in combination with create with your own creativity. I feel that it should not replace human creativity in any fact of the matter. Yeah, and it feels to me like
0: there should be some regulation around it. Like, if you take the example of, you know, what if if someone is no longer with us? You know, what if you take somebody? Let, let's take uh, Abraham Lincoln. What if somebody decides that they want to use AI to animate Abraham Lincoln saying something that he just would never say? You know, it it feels to me like you get into kind of name image likeness type Mm -hmm. scenarios where you just shouldn't be able to make an actual person say or do something that they didn't approve of doing. And I I feel like we run that risk
1: for sure. Um, but yeah, you know,
0: It's it's either good and bad
1: with everything. Yeah. I mean, frankly, actually that technology exists. Like right. I've seen YouTube videos with uh these uh gamers who just like use like John F. Kennedy's voice or like this thing doing things like, Oh yeah, I'm going to play this video game today and it's an his Yeah. Place. I mean these deep fakes go pretty um large, there's definitely an issue around that. And especially say like nowadays, right? Like we have devices like phone, uh, oh, it's not showing up, but the phones which are unlocked with biometrics, right? Right, That poses a dangerous like issue, right? Say for example, like a lot of people on their phones have pictures of themselves as like their uh, cover in the background or like them and their significant other or families. Right. And like if you like, say, like someone else has another phone. Right. It's I've seen these in movies. Someone else on another phone, they capture a picture of that background and then they use that to unlock the phone. Um, It's uh, yeah, it's it was in a Korean horror movie, actually. Uh, It's called Unlocked. And it uses that same kind of thing where they capture the image and use that to unlock. And it's kind of scary how if they wanted to, like, use that person or, like, you know, just do something with malicious intent. It's yeah. scary what the AI technology can be used for.
0: Yeah, there's whole we have whole discussions yeah. around what bad actors could can do today but could be doing tomorrow really really easily and that that's a the whole terrifying side of all of this i'm personally trying to embrace the positive side and that we can make a positive impact in the world yeah we're in the same place on that for sure but yeah i think we have to think about the negative yeah well well, awesome it's been absolutely great chatting with you is there anything else you'd
1: like to share or yeah, I think uh, I've been really happy to be here and thank you for having me on. It's been a real sure. honor to be on this podcast, you know, with you and everyone else who is exceptional, who has done this podcast with you. you. And especially like yeah, with uh, seeing Professor Brooks be on, that was uh, really nice. You know, And he was such an um, he's such an amazing professor. And I just like to like shout him out because he's, he's just been really guy. impactful in my journey in machine learning. And AI, so I'm grateful for him for all for that. Yeah, actually.
0: he's he's brilliant and incredibly down to earth. You, you wouldn't yeah. realize sitting talking to him what's going on up here because he's he's absolutely brilliant. So yeah, I'm, yeah, he's one of the nicest people to sense. Yes,
1: yes, big yeah, honor yeah. to follow his podcast. Uh, awesome. Well,
0: thank you, thank you, appreciate you joining us, and thank we will so be much. chatting shortly.
1: Sounds good you